wildfires and extreme temperatures hit parts of Europe and my home country of England, it's hard not to feel the sense of chaos and calamity that has overtaken much of the world. Governments fall on a routine basis, attacks are made on political figures, sometimes successfully as in the case of Shinzo Abe, my adopted country's former leader. Energy supplies run the risk of running out, leaving parts of the world highly vulnerable as winter looms. With the extreme humidity we experience every time this year in Japan, winter certainly seems a distant thought, far from most people's minds. All the while, COVID-19 and its ongoing effects hang around like a lost spirit, not able to leave us to return to that sense of normalcy we all felt we had before the first cases were reported and a doomed cruise liner rolled into the dock, carrying some of the first known to be infected. While most countries have removed the mask, here in Japan the vast majority still walk face covered, driving alone in cars, walking in the open air, performing farming duties in the baking sun. The fear of what the pandemic may still bring clouding the air so thickly it can be at times suffocating for some of the unlucky few in the most real sense. Films made during the pandemic carry terms like COVID-19 film and pandemic movie, suggesting that the fear of infection affected productions directly, and quite possibly the finished product in both an artistic sense and perhaps a subconscious sense too. Films with small casts, the actors aware of social distancing, and a coldness about the movie's atmosphere have been cropping up in the tidal wave of content that has only increased as movie theatres dwindle, already hit by the rise of the streaming giants, but also as the popularity of movies is replaced by 15-second TikTok videos, YouTube shorts, Instagram reels. Our first film today, which I mentioned and recommended to Gorefans in episode 1, is set right on the first day of a pandemic which is far, far more frightening than anything the coronavirus has thrown at us. There is certainly none of the iciness of a COVID-19 movie, and social distancing is only desired by the uninfected and rarely gained. The heat of summer can be felt. Chaos is felt to such an extent as to leave the viewer with a very real sense of despair, but without the time to dwell on the sense of loss and loneliness many of us have experienced since the early months of 2020. Welcome to Taiwan, where sadness and pure terror are forever entwined. The Sadness or Kubei was released in Taiwan in 2021 to a short cinematic release before the production studio attempted to sell the film to streaming providers finally settling on a deal with US horror service, Shudder. As the film's IMDb page interestingly informs us, the film was funded with, quote, a mixture of cryptocurrency and revenue from a producer's camgirl business. It seems the plethora of ways to raise finances for movies in the modern world are increasing to ever unexpected territories. 
The movie was directed by Rob Jabaz, a native to Canada who moved to Taiwan to further his career. While working in animation as a freelancer, he devised a concept influenced by the graphic novel Crossed, which depicts nasty people infected by a virus who act out their worst impulses. Other influences in the film were closer to home, such as an incident of extreme violence that occurred on the Taiwanese metro system in 2014, and traditional playground games found in Taiwanese high schools. The movie opens with Berant Zhu's Jim, a youthful young man we can see who loves his girlfriend but can't help letting her down in favour of finding work, and Regina Lee's cat, the girlfriend who wears a suit to work and longs to get away from the bustle of the city and her office job to spend time with him. They awaken to what seems a normal day, just like any other. We quickly discover that something unsettling is hovering over the city, a virus that has many sceptics as to its severity, but with scientists on TV proclaiming that we take caution. One such sceptic is the young couple's neighbour, who Jim chats briefly with on his balcony after seeing a strange old woman with long white hair, who appears to be covered in blood in the distance, oddly standing on the roof of another building. Could this have just been a figment of his imagination? More worryingly, perhaps, are the sniffles that the neighbour seems to have contracted. While giving Cat a lift to work on his scooter, they pass what seems to be a car accident, and like most people when confronted with such a scene, they slow down to take a closer look. A corpse is clearly laying on a gurney covered in a white sheet. With a cold, worried expression spread out on both their faces, Cat makes it to work and Jim drops in on a local cafe closer to home. It is here that the mutation of the Alvin virus, that mysterious infection the TV hosts and scientists have been screaming into one another's faces, begins. It is believed that Jabaz originally intended the outbreak to occur inside a facility of some kind, such as that which appears in 2002's movie adaptation of the classic video game series Resident Evil. However, as COVID-19 spread to all corners of the globe, he decided that having the outbreak take place outside among the general population would be more apt to these bizarre times. Certainly this allows the chaos to completely take over the screen, leaving our two protagonists more and more isolated. There is a sense of a tightening net, an impending claustrophobia, regardless of the size of the city and the sprawling outer locations that traps us in further and further. The most notable buzz around the sadness is the extremity of the violence and the lengths to which Jabaz captures increasingly gorier and gorier acts, mirroring the idea later explained to us that the infected will go to more extreme lengths to gross out one another. While I have certainly seen more than my fair share of gore, the sheer amount of blood and body matter was awe-inspiring in parts, and this is not a film for those with a weak stomach. That said, the violence itself was not what got under my skin the most. The infected are unlike, say, zombies, if we were to call them that. In fact, Jabaz himself is said to prefer the term infected to zombie, and I'm inclined to agree. These are sick human beings with red bloodshot eyes who have retained their ability to speak in their normal voices, to give in to unspeakable cruelty on a biological level. Unable to control their actions, but with an ability to remember their former lives and act out their most hidden desires.
before resorting to cruelty they taunt and torture their victims to the point of near insanity before picking up weapons, breaking limbs and gouging eyes. It was in this aspect that the sadness works its real horror and the final scene will have most cowering in shock. The blood and guts dangerously veer towards the cartoonish and comical but the human propensity for preying on the weak for being truly evil is where the sadness works best as a truly frightening horror movie. While the two leads are excellent at capturing the full horror as what is unfolding around them, special mention must go to Zhu Chang Johnny Wang, who plays a tired businessman cat encounters on the subway. Unable to understand the mentality and ways of the younger generation, upon contracting the Alvin virus he becomes the film's central villain. His frustrations and hatred of the modern world create a truly evil and intense member of the infected, one intent on inflicting the maximum suffering. It's a remarkable performance and kept me on the edge of my seat whenever he appeared on the screen. Always keep an eye on those around you, particularly when they take that empty, vacant seat next to you. Is men really just about men? There are certainly many of them in the movie, with Rory Kinnear playing almost all of them. In Ex Machina, writer-turned-director Alex Garland had two of them building a female-looking android. In Men, our protagonist, Harper's husband, James, is a controlling, selfish one, who after hitting her finds no way back from the brink of despair and desperation in the knowledge that he has lost her forever. However... Simply reading the movie as a depiction or message of the evil and masculinity seems far too simple and basic for the dark world that Garland conjures. Produced under the A24 brand, a company that has become synonymous with the elevated horror label, Men is more darkly entertaining than that tag would suggest. This is more creepy English countryside, with an almost The League of Gentlemen, that 2000s surreal British black comedy TV show vibe. One scene takes place in an abandoned tunnel, which for this Japan-based Brit reminded me more of the many Japanese horror movies that feature the multiple forgotten tunnels that litter the Japanese countryside, a hot spot for yurei spotto, or ghost spot hunters. Men starts with a young woman, the aforementioned Harper, driving to a countryside manor where she will take a break to de-stress and recover from the toils of her real life back in her expensive Tim's Riverside apartment. Harper is played by Irish actress Jessie Buckley, who I only recognise from the HBO miniseries Chernobyl. Upon arriving at the beautiful and quaint mansion, she takes a bite from an apple under a perfect-looking tree, poisoned fruit perhaps. Rory Kinnear's Geoffrey greets her at the door with his wide grin and bright white teeth and deeply English country accent. After a tour of the house and settling in, Harper is left to herself to explore the surrounding area, taking walks through the forest and fields, the local church and Geoffrey's pub recommendation. All the while she is stalked by a naked man we only see from a distance, his still and eerie stance there for all the audience to see, and had a little Michael Myers about it. Her distrust and frustration with the local men begins after a conversation with the village vicar, who after listening to her tragic recent past suggests she might be as to blame as a seemingly obvious perpetrator. The vicar, the local policeman and the pub frequenters are all played by Rory Kinnear. 
in various forms of hairstyles and makeup, and this suggests that Harper is so embroiled in a battle with her own trauma and fears that she cannot see the obviously strange and weird around her. While this could pull the viewer out of the film, I found it engaging and surreal, a nightmarish world we cannot escape from, with every turn pulling us further down the rabbit hole, heading for an ending no viewer will be able to predict. In fact, the ending is one of the most intense and bizarre I've seen for a long time. Most will not be able to comprehend what they have just seen. My favourite scene takes place just before the final madness. After Jeffrey comes to Harper's rescue, he checks the entire house and beautifully manicured garden, upon which he disappears after the garden lights switch on and off. A floating dandelion delicately floats in front of Harper, and we are treated to beautifully shot and surreal images. It is here where the movie popped and truly brought me under its spell. To see a film with such well-thought-out and uniquely devised aesthetics was as fresh as the country air that Harper breathes in and out in this scene. Is men just about men? Whether you believe that or not, or even care about whatever Garland's message may be, enjoy it for the visual, eyed-widening treat that it is. This past month I have grown increasingly enamoured with the movies of the Japanese director Kurosawa Kiyoshi, most famous for his 2001 movie Pulse and 1997's Cure. His eye for a creepy shot and his masterful use of quiet liminal spaces create a unique vision in the horror genre. Like Cure, Saints or Kore, released in 2000, features Yakusho Koji in a leading role a striking presence on the screen who often appears in Yakuza or organised crime films. In fact, Kurosawa and Yakusho have worked together on multiple projects, like Scorsese and De Niro or DiCaprio, Kurosawa and Mifune. They make for a formidable pairing and clearly accentuate each other's artistic properties. Seance follows Yakusho in the role of Sato and his wife Junko, played by the excellent Fubuki Jun, and one tragic incident that will change their lives forever. They live in the countryside, their homes surrounded by fields on all sides. However, like most Japanese middle-aged men, Sato commutes to the city every day, while Junko works closer to home. At home, in fact. He is a sound engineer who captures and catalogues sound effects to be used in movies and TV shows. Like the characters in Pulse who discover how sound and images can be distorted and twisted when run through machines, Technology seems to play a central role in Sato-san's life. Junko is a psychic, inviting grieving people into our home to communicate with passed-on relatives to comfort and ease the pain. Like many characters that have appeared on the screen that have been damaged and brought down by the horror and heavy tolls of their supernatural gifts, Junko appears ragged and beaten down, her eyes either full of sadness or wide open with fear what they may fall upon next. In most of the Kurosawa-Yaka show collaborations, damaged female characters feature prominently. We witness one such incident that further troubles and damages Junko's frailty when she attempts to go back to a part-time job working in a small restaurant, against the best wishes of her husband. It is this scene that frightened me the most. Kurosawa's still or slow-moving camera holds its nerve while we freak out in front of the screen. 
quite like Sato, Kurosawa uses sound effectively, this time to terrify an effect. It was a scene that stayed with me after the final credits rolled. A less frightening but altogether more disturbing scene introduces a small girl playing in a park. When a sister man tells her that her mother has been badly injured in an accident and that he should take her to the hospital, the real horror and tragedy begin. What follows visually reminded me of Nakata Hideo's 2002 film Dark Water, but where science really delivers is in its propensity to show the limits to where even seemingly good, ordinary people can go to cling on for survival and protect what we all feel we deserve, a comfortable, safe life. Remorse and regret weigh heavily on our two leads by the end. I felt despair by the end of this movie, but was as impressed by a TV movie, Seance, as much as I was by any of Kurosawa-san's theatrical releases. Catch this one if you dare. I recommend watching it with the lights off.